Paul's advice to Timothy about the church. And we've been zoning in on that. And, and uh, Glenn brought you uh, a great message uh, a couple of weeks ago, Simon, last week. And you'll realise we jumped out of order a little bit last week because I particularly wanted to preach on this passage this morning. So we should be out of here by about one, I think. I wouldn't do that to you. Today we're going to talk about prayer and I'm going to start off by talking about words. There was an old saying and if you're older than probably 40 you'll remember it but it's basically gone out of our vocabulary now. It's sticks and stones will break my bones but words will never hurt me. Now it's gone out because we all know that words do hurt and that they wound, They're, they're powerful And I want to put to you this morning that words are more powerful than what we give them credit for, and uh, and that they're more powerful than what we even realize. Proverbs actually puts it like this in in Proverbs uh, 12.18, thoughtless words can wound as deeply as any sword, but wisely spoken words can heal. You didn't know that was in the Bible, did you? I've been reading Proverbs, so you're going to get a few of them today. But, um, but words can affect us in so many different ways. And when words come and, and they, they cause a, a, a wound in us, they can carry us all the way through our lives. And they don't even have to be ill-spoken words. They can be just words that we've interpreted in a in a in a way that is unhelpful for us and it can mark us as our, our whole life. I was having lunch with my brother who's down from Sydney and we're talking about my nan who passed away many years ago and, and he said this to me, he goes, my nan ruined me. And I, I said, what do you mean? She goes, she used to tell me ghost stories and I am still affected by those stories today. And he's older than me, so he's really old. And, and so words can come and, and we all can look back in our lives in the playground or in our, from our parents or from our grandparents and have words that have somehow got through all our defences and cut us deep to the core of who we are and it has shaped our lives. Whether it's a, been a, a word about not being worthy enough or good enough or not accepted or whatever the words are, when they find their way in to our souls and, the, and they're designed to harm, they can cut us deeply. But also words are there to heal and, and we can have words that bring encouragement and words that, that bring healing t- to our lives. And, and that's what I love about praying through Scripture is that I can get onto the words of God that bring life and energy and and amazement to me. That when I'm thinking wrongly, the word of God, and as I speak it out over my life, that I am fearfully and wonderfully made, even though I'm tall. That I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, even with my three chins. I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and those, those words can bring healing. That I'm not a mistake. 
And so words can hold pain in our lives, but words can also spur us on and, and take us on to new heights and new ways. How many of us have stepped into something unsure because someone has encouraged us and said, you know what, you can do that. You can do that. And spurred us on. Words are powerful. They're so powerful that in Genesis 1, it says that God spoke and God created through his word. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let's, let's separate things, and things became separated. The power of words in the hands of God can do amazing things. So when we come to pray, why do we think that our prayers don't matter? If words are really powerful, as I've articulated so far, when we come to pray, why don't we come with the confidence that our words are powerful? That our words powerful, that they have some sort of spiritual influence in this world. John Wesley, the, the, the founder of the Methodist Church, which our heritage comes from, says this, God does nothing but by prayer and everything with it. Do you want me to say that again? You do, don't you? God does nothing but by prayer and everything with it. And he's trying to articulate to us that our prayers move God. And God in us moves us to pray. And that we're not going to see any prayers answered if we never pray them to begin with. God is not going to answer one prayer that you don't pray for you. Sorry. But, If we believe that God's Spirit is inside of us, if we believe that God speaks in us and through us, then as we speak out our prayers, God can do amazing things with it. Now, I'm not suggesting that God is a a fairy godmother, that we can just go, okay, God, I want this. I want that Ferrari. No, I don't. I can't fit in them. Um, You know, I want this, I want that. And that somehow God is going to be, uh, miraculously make it all happen. Because he's not Father Christmas, he's not a fairy godmother, but he does like working through us and in us and our prayers to him move him. But maybe at times you feel like I felt at times, and that is, is that our prayers seem to go nowhere. They don't seem to make much difference in our life. Sometimes you feel like when you're praying, your prayers hit the ceiling and they fall down and they have no effect whatsoever. That you're praying and you're praying and you're praying and you're not seeing anything shift. You're looking and you're believing, but nothing's shifting. And isn't it true that sometimes we can get to the point where we go, you know what, sometimes I think this whole prayer thing is pointless. And we can get discouraged and disheartened. 
But Paul's advice to Timothy, to the church, is that prayer can change things. So we're going to read the first seven verses, and then we're going to tackle the other, the other lot afterwards. This is from the contemporary English version because it was the one that made the most sense to me. First of all, I ask you to pray for everyone. So that's, you know, a small sort of group of people, isn't it? Every, everyone. So whoever comes across your mind, whoever comes across your path, pray for them. And as we've been praying for a staff, I'm finding myself drive around the neighbourhood and as I'm seeing people walking along the road, I said, Lord, why can't you touch that person's life? Instead of looking at their clothes and making judgment about who they are, which I can find myself doing at times to time, I said, Lord, why can't they be in our church? Pray for everyone. Jesus would say, even those that you don't like or who are your enemies... Just thought I'd throw that in. Ask God to help and bless them all. I need to say that again. Ask God to help and bless them all. There's a sense there that there's no negativity. Let's just ask God to bless them. We're gonna, he's going to articulate how. And tell God how thankful you are for each of them. Verse 2, pray for kings and others in powers so that we might live quiet and peaceful lives as we worship and honour God. I've, I've got friends who, who are on the whole spectrum of political people, or people of faith, who, who some of them are diehard Greens all the way through to the Conservative Party. I've got them all in my life. And all of a sudden, all I'm doing now is quoting them 1 Timothy 2. Uh, 2, 2. Because it's so easy to go, well, our Prime Minister prayed at Hillsong, but he's still got people in asylum, asylum seekers, so he's not a real Christian. How can he be doing this and, and saying this and praying and doing that? And I go, no, 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 that's not what Paul asks. Paul asks that we bless and that we pray. And we pray for the people who have power over our lives. Why? Because prayer changes things. Paul wouldn't be saying pray for kings and others if it was a pointless exercise. He says pray so that we might have a quiet life and peaceful life, and can worship and honour God. What is he saying? He's saying that your prayers and my prayers, when we pray for our community, does something. When we bless the community, and we'll go into that in a little bit, it changes something. Verse 3 goes on. This kind of prayer is good, and it pleases God our Saviour. Do you need any more recommendation that we should be praying blessing over people, we should be praying for our leaders and for our nation because it's a good kind of prayer to pray. Verse 4. God wants everyone to be saved and to know the whole truth, which is there is only one God 
and Christ Jesus is the only one who can bring us to God, Jesus is truly human and gave himself to rescue all of us. God showed us this at the right time. This is why God chose me to be a preacher and an apostle of the good news. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. God sent me to teach the Gentiles about faith and truth. So here we have Paul saying, I want you to pray. Believe that the words that you speak, when you come before God, influences things spiritually. Pray about blessing on everyone that you come across. And that will show your judgment. As I've been walking through wanting to bless people more, I start to realize how much I'm judging people. Because it's really hard to bless someone if you're critical of them. And so as I am choosing to bless instead of criticize, choosing to bless instead of judge, I just feel happier. And I, and I see things start to shift and start to change. Your prayers are powerful. And when you ask God to bless, you are asking God to do what is his very nature, which is to bring blessing. And we're not asking people, God to bless people so they just have carefree lives, so they don't have any stress. We don't even, aren't even praying so that, that justice will be done, even though that's a nice prayer to pray. What we're praying is that they know the truth, that God will bless them with the truth, that God will bless them with understanding that he is the one true God. You can only come to God through Jesus Christ. It is the only way back to life and that he wants all people to be saved. Now I'm going to make a bold prediction that you're in this church this morning because someone has prayed for you. Some of you know it, because you don't know how you ended up here, talking to you at the back row. And, um, and others, it's because grandma or great-grandma or granddad prayed for you. I know that I'm praying for my grandson and I'm praying for his children and his children's children. I'm praying for them now. Kelly prayed for our kids to find their spouse and they both came to faith in the church that we were ministering in. You are here because someone prayed for you and because someone prayed for you, you've got an understanding and a revelation of who God is and you've come and, and, and you're worshipping God now. The words we pray are powerful. And when we pray blessing and when we pray that we want all people saved, then God does amazing things. You are here because someone prayed for you. And what we're doing as a staff now, as soon as we have an inkling that God is at work at someone's life, then we just keep on saying, Lord, bless them with a revelation of who you are and your love for them.
bless them with it. And we're digging in and every week and sometimes it takes months before we see the next sign, but we keep on praying. And as a church, I I want to encourage us to be a church that centres on wanting to bless the community around us and bless the thing with the revelation that God is the one true God and that God, you can only come to God through Jesus and that he wants all people, all people to be saved. So I want to put to you this morning that our prayers can change the world and our prayers can help God minister to people's hearts. And Paul really wants us not to take our eyes off that prize. This is what he wants church to be about, a place of blessing, a place where people come to meet Jesus, a place where people can see that we can be a blessing to the world and a blessing to people's hearts. Proverbs 11.11 says this, A city is lifted up by the blessing of the upright. Proverbs 11.11, a city is lifted up by the blessing of the upright. This community should be lifted up by our prayers of blessing upon it. We, 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 We should be blessing the school. We should be blessing Helping Hand. We should be blessing the primary school. We should be blessing... Uh, the community around us because the whole community can be lifted up if we do so. So with that focus that Paul wants us to keep our eyes on the prize, that, people, that, that Paul wants us to, to believe in the power and prayer and to keep ourselves focused that Jesus is the way and the truth, this is the next bit that comes. Therefore, verse 8 to 15. The CV didn't have therefore, but it's in the Greek, and I think it's really important, so I put it back in, that's why it's in brackets. Therefore, I want everyone, and actually it's men, just men. You'll see why in a minute. To lift innocent hands towards heaven and pray without being angry or arguing with each other. So here we've got the eye on the prize that we want to bless and lift up. We want to pray for our leaders and we want to see the gospel go to the whole world. Therefore, men, stop arguing and getting angry with each other. So you can see what's happening in the church. They've taken their eyes off the prize and they've started to get angry with each other and believe that they know better than each other. Paul goes, that's not the prize. That's not what we're on about. And and if you've been here long enough, you'll know that I want you to deal with your anger and your arguing. I don't want you to bury it under a rug and and be an emotional cripple and cripple the life of the church. I want you to work it through. And so does Paul. So I'm glad that he and I are on the same page. Verse 9 goes on. I like for women, that's why it was important to have the men, 
to wear clothes modest and uh, to wear modest and sensible clothes. They should not have fancy hairdos. Don't look around, men. You'll just get yourself in trouble. They should not have fancy hairdos or wear expensive clothes or put on jewellery made of gold and pearls. Thanks. Women should, who claim to love God should do helpful things for others. They should learn by being quiet and paying attention. They should, not, they should be silent and not allowed to teach or tell men what to do. Come on. After all... Adam, we'll get there, don't worry. Adam was created before Eve. Now you know why I wanted to preach the sermon. And the, and the man Adam wasn't the one who was fooled, it was the woman Eve who was completely fooled and sinned. But women will be saved through having children if they are faithful, loving, holy and modest. Now, let me pull this apart a little bit for you because the Greek is really horrible in this thing and we're getting it from the Greek to us in English and, it, and it's pretty out there. But what I want you to focus on here is, is Paul is saying, keep your eyes on the prize, pray, blessing, uphold. And so what he's saying in the first bit about men is that I want you to have pure hearts, don't get angry, not arguing. Deal with your stuff. Second of all, he's saying, particularly to women, but I think it applies to all of them, don't get your status from what you wear. Don't, don't, get, don't get your status because in those days, women who wore those things were seen as women who came from a different social status. And by wearing that, they are saying, I'm better than you. And so Paul's saying, no, the, the eye on the prize is prayer and blessing. So let's stop the arguing and let's... Stop the anger and let's stop dressing up. And he picks out women to say that you're better than someone else. So I don't think in this passage he's writing a decree for all time. I think he's writing a letter to people who are in trouble because they've taken their eyes off the prize. Does that make sense? And so now he comes to the next thing. What I want actually is for the women to be modest and, and quiet and not to teach. Now, now, why is that in there? Well, there's lots of different theories coming out, but I want to I go with this theme that the therefore means that whatever he is articulating under the therefore is about taking your eyes off the price. And in the church of Ephesus, well, in the community of Ephesus, the major religion around Ephesus at the time was the cult of Diana. And the cult of Diana was, was run purely by women. And women of high stature. Women who had lots of money. And they were the teachers. And they were the people who propagated that religion. And so Paul is saying, look, what I don't want to do is women who come to faith in Christianity to come and think that they can can lord it over the guys just because of their old status. I don't want that at all. In fact, he wants to bring them down a notch and saying, well, women don't think that you're better than the guys because, and he quotes Genesis 3. I think he quotes it unfairly because I think the guy was just as sinful as the woman. Adam was just as sinful as Eve. 
because they both partaked in it. But he was wanting to drive home a point of saying to two women, particularly the women of Ephesus, don't get on your high hobby horse and think that you can speak down to these guys because of where you were before. So I don't want men to get angry. I don't want them to argue. I don't want people to think that they can, get, they can show off their status. What I want is that if you come to faith and you're a woman in that area, I want you to learn quietly. Not, not thinking that you can, that you can push it over and, and be self-righteous. And then we got that really tricky verse at the end, which I did a lot of reading on. And again, the Greek is messy. And basically, you can read it that a woman uh, will be saved through having children or childbearing. Or you can read it, the women will be saved by the child who was born. Now, when you take that in reference to Genesis 3, which he quotes about Adam and Eve, the, the prophecy that's given to Eve in that passage says that you will bear a child who will crush the head of the snake and the snake will bite the heel of the child, and was a, which is a Messianic, a, a Messiah text that talks about the full coming of Jesus. And so if we take this in context, then we hear this. Prayer and blessing is the prize. We want everyone to come to understand Jesus. So stop arguing. Stop getting angry about things that don't matter. Stop thinking that you can reach a status by what you wear and people will lift you up and think you're amazing. Stop talking down upon others because you think that you know more than them because in the end, everyone is going to be saved through the child. That's the best I can do. Through the child of Jesus. So keep your eyes on the prize. And as a church, as we love each other and encourage each other and bless each other, let's not get angry. Let's not, let's not get arguing about things that don't matter. Paul's already said that in verse 1. That this, this, this congregation was talking about things that didn't matter. Don't think that we're of some different kind of status because of our income. Let's not try and puff that up. And let's not think because you might be smarter than someone else that you can lord it over someone else. Jesus actually said, if you want to be a leader, then you're going to be a servant. In fact, even when he talks about male and female marriage, he says, you know, women should submit to the men, but men should love their wives like Christ loved the church. What is it saying? Women submit to men, men die for your wife. I know who got the better deal. Everything in the kingdom is topsy-turvy. Now you go, well, Barry, you can, read it. you can read it whatever way you like when it comes to female leadership. This is all I know is that when you look at the big picture of Scripture, there's a lot of grey there. 
When it comes to women in ministry, you've got Romans 16 where Paul articulates that a, a, a woman is an apostle. We've got Acts 18 where Priscilla takes Apollos, an apostle to one side and teaches him about the faith. You've got Galatians 3.28 that talks about there, there is no difference between uh, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female. They're all equal. You've got stories even in the Old Testament in Judges of the prophetess Deborah who takes leadership over the nation of Israel to bring them freedom from their, their oppressors. So when you look at it in the big context of Scripture, I'm pretty confident to say that Paul is addressing a specific need within the Ephesians church and particularly about not taking their eyes off the prize to pray and to see God move. So I want to give you these four things. When you pray, ask boldly. I'll keep on saying it until you can repeat it back to me. It's our job to pray, it's God's job to answer. So pray boldly. Bless broadly. Don't just bless those people you like, bless them all. Be a blessing machine. Go out and throw it wherever you can. Challenge culture. And that's what I think that Paul's saying when he says, pray for kings and praise those who have authority over you that we may live and preach, uh, live in peace. Challenge the culture. Not just say, this is the way it is. Let's go and pray about it. I've got lots of friends who are getting upset about the injustice in the world and that's fine, but they're looking for a political solution where Paul is saying, look for a prayerful solution. If you want anything to change in your work, in your school, in your life, in your family, don't look for your wise words to make a difference. Don't look at your cunning schemes to make a difference. Pray. And bless And the last is develop clarity. Just stay focused on your prayer. Don't ever allow yourself to drift away to say that your prayers don't matter, that your words aren't important. Develop clarity of the power of words and the power of prayer in your life. That God can do things through your prayers. And at the last church that Kelly and I were at, we, we inherited a church of 80 people over 65. And we saw God do an amazing work and, and, and uh, younger people come to faith and all sorts of things like that. But as they were getting older and older and, and as they were finding it hard to be more engaged, I would just constantly encourage them, the very least you can do is pray. So I want to encourage you, will you pray that God will use this church for people to come and understand his love and grace? Will you pray that out of this place that we can be a blessing to our whole community? That through what we do, how we pray, how we bless, the whole community will be lifted up. Will you stay razor-focused with me? That prayer makes a difference. 
And if you've been sitting in a, in a space where you've felt that your prayers have just been hitting the ceiling, that your prayers have not been affected, that maybe God's not hearing, maybe you've done something wrong, can I encourage you to come back to the reality that you are a child of God and his love for you never diminishes? Can I bring you back that how you come before the Father and you ask of the Father's heart is powerful? And to leave behind your doubt and your cynicism and just go, God, I'm just going to trust that prayer works and that you're here for me and that you're going to do something. Develop clarity in your prayer and keep praying until something happens and then pray some more. Let's do that now. Be on your feet with me, please. I want to speak firstly to those of you who have been struggling to hear God. You feel like your prayers are just a little bit like, like God's not hearing them. And I want you to open up your heart once again to the reality that God does and God will. And so if that's you, how do I want you to respond? Just put your hands together in front of you. Just like that. And if you want to be used by God to be a vehicle of blessing, then just put your hands out in front of you like this as an act of service. Holy hands, innocent hands in prayer. Particularly you men, if you want to take this literally. So if you're struggling with prayer, put your hands together. If you want to be used as a blessing, put your hands apart. Let's pray together. If Tony wants to give me some um, mood music, that would be great. Loving God, I want to pray right now for those people whose hearts have really struggled, Lord, with this concept of prayer. And I know, Lord, that their heart breaks because they believe in you, but... They're struggling to believe that you can do what you say you can do. They've prayed and they've prayed and they've prayed, Lord. And so, Lord, will you renew their heart right now in Jesus' name? Will you refresh them and give them fresh courage again to come before you as their Father who loves them and say, God, I'm sorry that I've doubted. Sorry that, I, that I've given up. Sorry that I got frustrated in the process. And I just want to simply say, God, here I am again. Forgive me that I've blamed you for not answering my prayers, that I've 
my heart has become hard to it and soften it again, Lord. Lord, refresh them and renew them now, I pray. And Lord, for those of us who have a calling upon our heart that stirs something within to say, Lord, we want to bless. We want to see people come and experience your love and a grace. We want to see this community lifted up in the name of Jesus. We want to see your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. Will you fill us with courage? Will you fill us with your presence? Will you fill us with your strength that, that, that prays boldly and blesses broadly? And Lord, that we just don't accept the culture the way it is and we don't whinge about it, Lord. We pray about it. So Lord, excite our hearts that every morning we can wake up and say, God, who can I bless today? How can I lift up those around me to you today? Give us fresh vision, a fresh wind of your presence, of your spirit, we pray. And as a fellowship, Lord, as a community, as a family, can we, can we Lord, stay focused on the prize that Paul was talking about? That you want all people, rich, poor, different cultures from different religions. You want all people to come and experience the love of Jesus. So Lord, bless this community, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.